I, I grew, I think, too fast in the early days of Techno Buffalo. I, I hired too many people without realizing the jobs and unintentionally making myself the bottleneck for a lot of problems and issues. And I, I made mistakes, you know, hiring. But I think the point when you realize it's time for help is obviously it's an easy question, right? Can you do more as a team than you can on your own? And I had to come to the realization that there are a lot of areas in my expertise where I was deficient. And that was a, that was a big problem, right? I know that I don't have the editing skills of, of John. And I've said this, I would say as if John wasn't here, like I've talked about it on, on many podcasts. I don't have that. So sort of being able to come to that realization and then find people who can fill that gaps are really important. I made plenty of mistakes hiring, but the best thing that I ever did was hire people who are much better than me at a lot of different things. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. Geared Up is a weekly look at the world of consumer tech and gadgets. And John, quick update from last week. It still remains the same. Last week, I said that somehow this show each week brings on the best guest we've ever had. Yet, the true story, that best guest is no better than any previous guest. And so we had to top ourselves from last week's MKBHD appearance. And it was tough to do, but we have done it. Really, it was only one, only one person that could have done it. Correct. And I had to search far and wide for this man. He brings humanity back into the world of tech. Mr. Jonathan Morrison, how are you doing, sir? Hey, you're going to make me blush over here. That's not a... <laughs> I can't follow up Marquez, but I appreciate you guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we need to let we need to let the crowd know like they're here for excitement, for the passion of technology. And we just need to start the show off right, letting them know they are in the correct place. Before we jump into John, who he is, what he does, a quick note from last week. I had several people write in saying, hey, you guys talked about these new channels that you launched. I looked for them. I couldn't find them. So here's what you want to do on YouTube. John Rettinger's www. But type it in. Why is everybody laughing? Why is everyone? Because it sounds like you're about to give instructions to like my dad. <laughs> you were I. <laughs> you were looking at me like you couldn't Go hear to me it. anymore. First, you have to open. First, you have to open up a browser. You know what that is? <laughs> listen, listen. People want to watch our content. We need to make it easy for them to find it. So, All money right, rush. Fair enough. Just type it in as one word. Yes. Money rush as one True. word and. It'll come right up. And then for mine, hyper profit. But again, make it one word, hyper profit, no space, and it'll come right up. And uh, you can learn about personal finance tips and tricks from both of us. Now, back to Jonathan Morrison. John, if there's someone out there listening who doesn't know who you are, which I don't know who that might be, but if that happens to be the case, let people know a little bit about yourself. Man, I hate this part. I know. Yeah, I gotta do it. I don't know. I just I make videos and I like music and I just try and bring I guess the appreciation back. It's it's easy to get jaded in the era that we live in, but just try and remember how good it is and how the reality is that there's nothing truly, truly awful these days and it's an amazing time to be in tech. And I try to just make stuff around that. I appreciate that point of view like it is often sometimes i feel like is it just me appreciating it or am i just old because sometimes i'll like pick up a smartphone 
and just realize like I'm holding something in the palm of my hand that's made of metal and glass that allows me to face-to-face talk to anyone on the planet at any time. You take all the fanboyism and, and operating system and yeah, all that but, stuff away. How amazing is that? But what's the resolution of that screen? Is a processor good? <laughs> is it 120 hertz? How many gigs of RAM, how many gigs, how many gigs of RAM does that magical device have? Like, That's let's true. talk about what That's matters. True. I want benchmarks or you're wrong. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's 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 that proves how young you are. So I wanted to talk about some of John's workflow because you, you've kind of had a a shift. Yeah. Can I jump in here? Can I, can oh, I yeah, jump sure, in on please. this just real quick, quick? As somebody who's seen the workflow firsthand, John and I, I had the privilege of, of working with John for about a year at his space in Claremont. And John's workflow is unlike anything that I've ever seen, just sort of in regards to the artistry of the videos, I think there are two types, correct me if I'm wrong, two types of professional creators, maybe three. There's the artists who are in it for for the art. There's business who are in it for the money. And then there's people who are sometimes straddled the line between the three. But I, I had a, the privilege of seeing John as an artist work. And it was a side of seeing kind of how the sausage gets made that I didn't appreciate before I saw it. So I actually added this to our list of things to talk about because John, I think how you approach videos is really unique still. I mean, even all this time later in the space. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to not really enjoy it if you kind of mix it up because I think it can get stagnant, but I think just creatively, I think it's definitely something that makes my brain feel good. And, you know, again, just kind of not to hit that point too hard, but just going back to where we started and how much things have changed now and wanting to get better and elevate and knowing when we started, you know, you had to go buy a book to learn something and that we have everything in front of us at our fingertips in front of our body. If you want to learn anything, you can. So it's just trying to navigate that and then make something that's better than it was prior and then something that also you are proud of, I guess. I think the question I wanted to ask, John, I'm sure everybody here has, has seen, seen your work. And again, I've, I've seen you spend six hours on a what ends up being like a 12-second shot in a video. I've seen you spend weeks on videos and then kill them because you didn't like how they turned out. What is the thought process when you make a video? Is it Do you wait for inspiration? Do you just be like, well, today is Tuesday, I got to make a video. For people who are listening, we have a lot of folks who listen to this who want to do what, what we do. Like, how is your process and how has it evolved over the years? And kind of what do you do when you want to start making a video? Yeah, I think it's a blend of inspiration slash. It's also a job and a business. So we kind of like have to walk that fine line of, okay, you can't just treat it like you're some artist who can make something every once in a while. Because it's even hard to even say, I, I wouldn't call myself an artist. I just enjoy making things. But I think it's that fine line of inspiration slash just the tech cycle and it's been a delicate thing for me in the sense like I've talked about it recently more recently where at a certain point you kind of make the conscious decision to hey do I want to make things to have a successful YouTube channel air quotes or do you want to make things that make you happy and it's trying to find that balance because it can get rough trying to cover everything especially in the tech space to where just me personally, I couldn't do that every single time and I couldn't do an unboxing every single time 
because my heart wouldn't be in it. So I think it's that combination of what makes my brain move slash trying to balance it with the tech pace. The best comments that I'll ever see or get is, oh, the editing is good, which to me, you know, they don't know why it's good. That's just a normal person who's not into photography or videography or composition or lighting. But if you can have the the normal average person say this is good editing, then to me that that's a win. And it's the idea and the notion of how do you how do you make something feel good, look good without necessarily the person watching knowing that? What about aside from the visual perspective? I feel like you had a mental change roughly 18 to 24 months ago where your point of view and what you communicated in your content. So not just from a visual perspective, but you know the words that would come out of your mouth and your approach seemed to change from what would be considered the typical product review or product overview or whatever it might be. Do you remember that change and was it a purposeful thing or what was the reason behind it? I think the fire started with the whole the era and the time when I did the whole iPhone selfies, the skin smoothing, and said it was a Android phone and got a bunch of crap for that. But I've always had that in me. And I think it's easy to, again, fall into the to the rhythm and to the, you know, you have the voices in your head saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. But I think for whatever reason, that was the switch that flipped where I was just like, I can't be who I'm not. And I think that year in particular was very toxic in the Apple hate world where it just became super trendy to hate on Apple stuff. And I've openly, you know, at at this point said that I enjoy Apple products. I use Apple products. Ultimately, I'm here. Granted, again, you can make anything off anything, but I'd be lying if I was saying Apple wasn't a huge part of my creative career, if you want to call it that. And I think it was just the notion of like, God damn, like we are so lucky and everyone is finding the smallest things to complain about. And I just got tired of the facepalm thumbnails and the don't buy this Apple product. And I think it was from then where I was just like, hey, I got to just say what I use and embrace that and just talk to people like I'm talking to my family and I think it's the other notion of it was that combined with going into iPad Pro where I just got tired of people who don't make things. They, for whatever reason, started to stamp the official like, this is what it is. And it it was frustrating because it's like, and again, it's not a jab, like whatever you do, there's always a skill, but it, it was the people who literally just typed in Google Docs or wrote articles that were going to start making the stamp on what's pro, what's not pro. So it just got frustrating. And I think there's a really bad habit in tech where it's a lot of the times, it's almost a disservice to the viewer where if you dismiss something, it's almost like you're assuming the audience member can't understand it. Honestly, I would relate it to just trying to just put the good out there, right? And then what you choose to do with it is on you. 
And in a very similar notion, let me at least explain what feature A, feature B is. And if it's helpful for you, great. And if it's not, then at least you know. But I'm not going to just write it off or just blanket statement say, you don't need this and I'm not going to explain why. So that's an interesting perspective. And I, I think, John, the past, especially the past 24 months, like Andrew said, I think you've in a lot of ways become the conscience, the, the Jiminy Cricket of the tech community. <laughs> and a lot of, in a lot of ways on YouTube. And I think having somebody who's holding people accountable, especially for a, a paradigm perspective shift, is really important. So I, I think a lot of us have fallen victim to some of those, those trends that you talked about. And I think being able to have a sense of self for creators as well, like, how have I contributed to this? Do I want to continue that? If I decide not to, how can I try to better what I'm doing? I think it's something that we're always kind of reevaluating, like, on a month-by-month -month basis, right? Like, like, always be better. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Like, got to always improve. We got heavy here. It got, it got, it got heavy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I like that. I mean, that's why, that's why we have this man here. I also want to talk about your workflow and how it's changed as it pertains to hardware. Right. Because I also feel like if I asked you two years ago, what camera, what computer, what software, all that went into your workflow for making a video versus today, that that would also be two almost completely different answers. But I don't want to speak for you. So tell me how your workflow has evolved. I think if anything, it's simplified and it was headed down that path regardless. And even long before what camera I'm using now, I think, you know, I've been in the red world. I've been in the airy world. Now I'm currently shooting on FX9. And weirdly enough, going from red to airy was part of that simplification because it's, it's easy to go down that road of like, okay, I need raw. I need more Ks. Let me get the the best possible quality I can possibly get. And in a lot of ways, going from RED and RAW and that workflow to ProRes on the Airy, like that was the best thing about that camera. The image is incredible. You know, the color science, it is what it is for a reason. And it's why you see it in every, you know, the majority of every major Hollywood movie. But for me, the biggest thing was just shooting on ProRes. And it didn't matter if I was on a MacBook or an iMac or even, you know, the biggest change for me going to a Mac Pro was the noise more than just performance because it wasn't really performance that was a problem for me. And for the longest time, I think even back to the 11 Pro era, for six months, like I was on a, I was on a MacBook Pro and a 24 inch LG monitor. So I feel like I've tried to simplify things and my mindset with tech is like, how can it get out of your way and just let you make stuff? Because that's what I try and tell people with, yeah, sure, Final Cut is fast, the exports are fast, but no one really gives a crap about exports at this point. It's almost become a meme. And how does it just become part of your workflow to the point where you're not having to think about the UI changing or moving and almost to where it's an extension of your brain? And how can I get the image the best I can in camera so it's less work that I have to do in post? That's why I'll grade first. That's why I'll do audio first so I can just get that out of the way and then focus on the creative part. So I think if anything, it's just more of a, a simplification. And because of everything I've learned there, it almost applies to anything where it's, it doesn't matter if it's an FX9 or an A7S III or an A6600, you know, it's almost like Karate Kid where, you know, if you learn the foundation first, it almost doesn't matter after. 
it's, it's almost sounds like it's like a, a bell curve, right? Like there was a time where you were shooting on more consumer level products. Sure. Then you went and graduated, you know, all the way up to the red cameras. And now you're shooting on an iPhone SE and editing on an iPad mini, all your videos. Tell like, how, <laughs> how did you go from like, it's, it's two extremes. Like there was a point in time where you said, I do need or want the cinema grade, cinema level hardware. And then there was a switch where you said, wait a minute, I just need, I need things to be more simplified and get out of my way. How was, how did that mental shift happen? I mean, the, the want for gear never changes, right? I think that's just part of what we do. And I'd be lying if I, you know, because <laughs> honestly, the, the plan was to sell the Airy and go eventually to a mini LF, you know, but then the pandemic hit and things changed and FX9 made more sense with autofocus and solo shooting. And again, it was just the notion of, hey, you know, all those things that I learned apply here and learning false color. And I know John can attest to that and it's like every team member that he has is so talented and they took the time to learn the fundamentals and when, once you do that then at, at that point it's just creativity because there are so many talented people these days that anybody can truly make something look good it's just how do you stand out and be different at this point fair enough before we get into the news since i have both of you here if I could pick any two people to ask this question, from my own knowledge, it would be you guys. So this is my opportunity to ask, can you both answer this question? And John, well, you both are John. Jonathan Morrison just alluded to this a second ago about team building. When someone gets to the point where it's time, first of all, how do you know you're at the point where it's time to build out your team? And second of all, how do you go from being a solo creator who's successful to building a team that does not negatively impact your business? It's tricky. I think it differs for everybody, right? I think the thing I've learned the most out of anything all these years is you have to find what is going to help you because everybody's different. And for me, it's a challenge because there's no blanket right person. And I've had to learn what are things that help me and because it's different from you, it's different for John, because I'm someone who's hands-on, right? And I know it can be incredibly frustrating if you're trying to to be that person to work with me because I have a hard time being hands-off. Ultimately, I think it stems from me, and I always relate it back to The Walking Dead, is like, A, you have to be a good human. And because it's like when Rick asked the questions, you know, I, I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how skilled you are. If you're, if you're an asshole, I don't want you on my team. And if, if it's the zombie apocalypse, are you going to have my back or are you not? So I think that's the foundation. And I think from there you can teach anything. And ultimately you have to find what is it that you need help with and what it, what is it that alleviates stress and burden off you so you can be more useful. For me, I think I, I can echo exactly what John said. I, I grew, I think, too fast in early days of Techno Buffalo. I, I hired too many people without realizing the jobs and unintentionally making myself the bottleneck for a lot of problems and issues. And I, I made mistakes, you know, hiring. But I think the point when you realize it's time for help is 
obviously it's an easy question, right? Can you do more as a team than you can on your own? And I had to come to the realization that there are a lot of areas in my expertise where I was deficient. And that was a, that was a big problem, right? I know that I don't have the editing skills of, of John. And I've said this, I would say as if John wasn't here, like I've talked about it on, on many podcasts. I don't have that. So sort of being able to come to that realization and then find people who can fill that gaps are really important. I've made plenty of mistakes hiring, but the best thing that I ever did was hire people who are much better than me at a lot of different things. And obviously, like I said, there've been, there been mistakes in, in that process. But if as a whole, the organization is better than they would ever be with just me, then you know it's time to, to move, right? And you know it's time to, to, bring, to bring somebody on. And personally, I've struggled with letting go. And like John said, like him being hands-on. And I was hands-on for a lot of different reasons. And actually, I don't know if I've talked about this on the, on the podcast, but then it's good with, with John here. I have a little bit of a story if I can tangent for a minute. So during the Techno Buffalo day, especially the end, I've, I've talked pretty publicly about some of the like mental issues that I went through and battling depression and just it was a really hard time at the end days of 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 techno buffalo and i'm sure john knows what's coming here but i had filmed our review for techno buffalo the iphone 10r and it was i just got off some of the hardest phone calls i've ever had to make i was beat down i had no creativity left in me i was a shell of a person who was just talking on camera and it was horrible and i, I didn't end up liking the iphone 10r it became a whole thing and john had a different experience with his and he and i had been friends for i mean john had been friends we go back I mean, 10, 10 years. If you search on the channel, there are still videos on my YouTube channel with John hosting them. Yep. We go back that far. So I went up to Claremont where, where John, John films or works and we were doing a collab. And afterwards, John and his business partner, Josh, and this was really a, I think a, a life changing and a career changing thing, like pulled me aside and we're like, what's going on with you? <laughs> Why do you look like this? Something's wrong. So I just, I spilled my guts to them and I realized that I, I didn't, I had you know, the team I had wasn't, wasn't right. The way I structured my business wasn't right. And then John called me that night on FaceTime and was like, just, why don't you just drop it? Like sell techno buffalo. Why don't you just come work here for a while? I mean, that was really the extent of the, I was really, that was really the conversation. And so I did, I took the team that I had after I sold techno buffalo and we drove the, you know, 50 minutes or so each way out there. And it was such an invigorating experience. I, you guys will never know this or see this probably about, about John and his team, but he's, has and, and had some of the most talented human beings on the planet working there and coming in and out of that building. And I, he'll never admit it. And John's a pretty humble guy. But I mean, but seeing that process and seeing someone who I regard very highly as a human being, but also as a talent, bring on people who he thought were more talented than him in certain areas was inspiring. And that ch fundamentally changed my managerial process. It fundamentally changed how I do my business. And it led me back to a love for video again. I know it was kind of a longer story, but it was just, it was interesting talking about, talking about talking about hiring, but that's a story that is very true. And a lot of ways I think saved my career. I was ready to sell everything and just be done and walk away and go to something different. And then having someone that I could talk to, to sort of share that, you know, anguish that I was going through was, was really a, a changing thing. And then being there in Claremont and sort of seeing those people work, seeing John work, you know, who's worked very differently than I do was really a cool, a cool thing to see and something that I personally will always be eternally, eternally grateful for. John, you are, you, you are the man, both of you, both of you, John's are the men. I, I, I mean, admire it, you both. It's true. 
I'll I'll stop uh, saying how great John is here in a minute, but you'll hear stories about John. Like, oh, John did this, and for every story you hear, there's like 15 that you didn't hear or that you didn't that you didn't see. I've been at events, big big phone events with smaller YouTubers who're like, oh, I wish I had a better camera. I wish I had a light to get the shot. And John, without even filming his own stuff, was like, here, take mine. I'm like, I'm like I've seen I've seen things like this happen, and like. When you get caught up in like iOS or Android and you knock a creator because they're iOS preference, so you're just you're ignoring who they are as people. And I things like that I took very personally, especially when it came to John, knowing like the measure of the the measure of the man, so to speak. I 100 percent agree with that. That has happened to me. I just mentioned in passing after a Samsung event. Oh, we don't have a light for the hotel room. And he's just like, here, you want to use this one? I'm like, yeah, but the embargo's in the morning. You're probably going to need your light. He's like, no, just bring it to me later. Just take it. Yeah, just just take it. Like you're cutting out your time making your video to help me out. That's the kind of person this man is. And there's like 30 of those stories that have never, that'll never come to light for every one that someone like tweets out. You guys are too kind. Now that we're <laughs> embarrassing him. <laughs> we This is the kind of guest <laughs> we have. Like every week we're talking about like how great our guests are and the great things they've done. And every one of them is like blushing and embarrassed but that's the kind of quality people that we want to bring to our audience. Let, let's switch over to some news. Okay. Let's switch over to news now. First, first story on the agenda. I want to get your guys' feedback on this one. Elon Musk and Tesla, well, Tesla as a company, Elon announces that they invest $1.5 billion into Bitcoin. What do you think? I mean, te- Tesla, if anything, is a disruptive company, right? Like mm-hmm. They disrupted the entire automotive industry that hadn't, they hadn't seen a successful new startup in it was like a hundred years. I mean, it was since like GM. It was like a crazy thing. So Tesla buying $1.5 billion of Bitcoin, just diversify their portfolio and essentially just hold it as what they assume is appreciating asset. As Tesla goes, a lot of the auto industry goes. And as the auto industry goes, a lot of the market goes. Uh, I think it's the first real big step to legitimizing Bitcoin as an asset in a port- as an asset in a portfolio. It's still hard to buy things with it as like a transactional currency. I mean, Tesla said they're going to let you buy you know, Tesla's with Bitcoin. We'll, we'll see. But I think it's a really big like shift in how people view cryptocurrency. And you're going to think you're going to see a lot of companies follow suit real fast. And as Bitcoin goes, the whole rest of the, the crypto world goes. You've seen it with Ethereum and the other Bitcoin currencies. I mean, just like through the roof. I, I think it's awesome. Decentralized currency without anybody in control, I think is really good. But like any currency, right? It can be, it can be manipulated. You buy, you, you know, you can... You can GameStop it, right? You buy a ton, more people are buying it, there's there's less demand and price goes up and then people sell it and it crashes. So like anything, and anybody out there looking to like, I'm just going to buy all the Dogecoin in the world, I'm going to be a millionaire and drive my Roly, uh, just be careful. <laughs> just be, be really careful. If something seems too easy, it, it generally is. Yeah, I think I, Elon, you know, he can have his moments, but overall, Tesla knows what they're doing in terms of the age we live in more than anything. They're very good at capitalizing off of current events and it's a smart move for them and like you said i think the bigger impact is going to see who follows that i agree i think it's going to be a domino effect like crypto bitcoin whatever you want to call it needed something like this a a legitimate large i mean the richest man in the world he has more money than any other person on the world and he says the dollar is not where I want to keep all of our holdings. So we're also going to go into crypto. What was super interesting, though, when the news first came out, 1.5 billion, and I saw some people on Twitter, obviously no experts, but Tesla's wasting their money. Look what they're doing. And then 
when the news drops about 10 minutes later, the stock rises by 3%, which is a market cap of $11 billion. So by spending $1.5 billion, they generated, they already covered it. It's already done. They've generated $11 billion from that, plus the 14% rise in Bitcoin when the announcement was made. So I think it's incredible on the one hand that they made the investment, but I think even more important will likely be when they enable the purchasing of cars and accessories with Bitcoin, because then you're going to have other companies. The thing with companies is they all have FOMO. Like, oh, they're doing something. Why don't we, why don't we have that? Tesla's doing that. Why aren't we doing that? So I think that's going to be the domino effect. I'm going to go on a limb here. Uh, we'll see full self-driving before we see Tesla accept Bitcoin for their cars. What? Uh, and we all know how far how, how far away <laughs> full self-driving. It's just around the corner. Really? It's, it's, it's the end of any given year. It'll be here. Yeah, 100%. Why do you say that? I'm curious. Well, first, the value of the Bitcoin when people buy it versus transact, when people sort of shift it over versus what it's going to be worth. Regulatory? And Tesla's a publicly traded company. Like, they're talking about transactional things and essentially an unregulated industry. Bitcoin is not, there's no insurance behind it. It's prone to fraud. I, I think it sounds awesome, but I think it is very far away from happening. Bitcoin as a currency is, is not quite there yet. That's interesting. But that's, that's just me. That's interesting. No, so I feel like in order for any crypto to be less of a, an asset that just gets held and to actually become a currency, which people, I mean, is part of the word, it needs to be something that is accepted for more than just like friends to friends or online transactions, but you really need to be able to use it in everyday life. Apps. So how do we get Absolutely. there? Absolutely. How do we get there? I don't. I don't want to get too much in the in the weeds here, but oh no, no, for sure. You hold. You buy Bitcoin. Let, let's say you buy Bitcoin for forty thousand dollars, and then next day it's worth fifty thousand dollars, and you yeah. want to buy a fifty thousand dollar Tesla. So you could theoretically transfer one Bitcoin over and get your Tesla. Problem is, you didn't pay taxes on that ten thousand dollar gain. Mm. Is Tesla going to pay those taxes? Like it's, it's there's like there's like a whole just mess of stuff to to get through. You can buy anything you want with Bitcoin. Just sell your Bitcoin, convert it to cash, and buy what you want. Pay taxes on it. Government gets their piece, and everybody's happy. But when you transfer assets like that that haven't had taxes pay on it, you're going to see the government clamp down on that right quick because you know, government likes government likes their piece of every pie. I like that. Thank you for that analysis. I was too excited. I was too excited. You brought me back down to earth. I'm the buzzkill. All these like <laughs> Dogecoin people are like, I'll put in $500. I'm a millionaire. I'm like, well, you got to pay uh, 30% on that. <laughs> it's free money. It's not. Nothing. Nothing is free money. Okay. Let's, let's switch over. You mentioned full self-driving. That's going to be a nice segue into sure. Apple. Apple is reportedly, I mean, they've been working on this for at True. least since 2014. Project Titan We've seen reports that they were talking to Hyundai Kia. We've seen reports they're talking to Raynault. Basically, all reports from legitimate publications are saying Apple is working on a vehicle. They're trying to choose a partner to build the vehicle. And that the main feature of this vehicle is that it is 100% fully autonomous. There is no one who is the driver. Everyone in the car is the passenger. This car likely would not even be seen at the very earliest for four to five years, if not longer. What do you guys think about this news? Apple, we've heard about Apple working on a car forever, but we're starting to kind of see 
bits and pieces become less out of focus. We can kind of see where they're going. Biggest company in the world, richest company in the world. Yeah. Is this, is this cause for excitement? Is this cause for pause? Are, there, are they moving out of where they need to be? Personally, I'm excited for the jokes. Uh, is it going to have windows? <laughs> is it going to charge with the light? Is it going to charge with the lightning. lightning cable? Yes. Is it going to charge with lightning? Those kind of things. This is all speculation. We have no idea what it's going on in the mind of Tim Cook and company. His track record, whether you love Apple or, or not, is, is certainly a shrewd businessman that has led that company to great heights. So I imagine that they're going to do it. There's a reason behind it, and they see the the value there. I mean, as far as anybody has seen, full self-driving is not a technology that is like, you can remove the steering wheel right now. I mean, it, it, it seems like an unannounced vaporware. We can't even call it that because I never really announced it, right? It's not like the, the, the Samsung smart speaker. So I, I'm, listen, more players on the market that are electric and less accidents on the road, the better, I guess. For me, it's, it's almost that, like you said, it, it doesn't exist yet. And we've heard rumors of it for so long. It's almost up there with the Apple, like not the Apple TV box top set, but the Apple TV TV. TV set. Yeah. I think the best part of Tesla is the software experience. So if Apple can take that and approve upon that, that's ultimately what's going to make or break it because Tesla, they've had their quality control problems here and there. But overall, why you buy Tesla is the software. And it's what craps on every other electric vehicle out there right now. And the fact that you could instantly get an over there update to your car is insane. So I guess it's more along the lines of I am patiently, calmly not thinking about it. And if Tim Cook rolls it out at some point, then cool. We'll see what he's got up his sleeve. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, oh, it's fun to think about. But until it rolls on stage, it's just a conversation piece. Do you have any excitement for it? Knowing the company that Apple is, do you feel excitement towards seeing what they can do with a car? Or do you have? Yes and no. Fearful is too strong of a word. But are you are you hesitant to be? Is your excitement tempered based on what you've seen Apple do with first gen tech in other areas yeah i mean i guess it's more of just like cautiously optimistic and it i'm great if it never existed so if it happens to be awesome then it's a huge bonus yeah i mean look look what sony did with there was their their vision s like you came out of nowhere and rolled a car out on stage like a real evidently drivable car that looks amazing and if apple can keep par with that or at least a car and set us technologically advanced five or seven years when it comes out it's awesome it's great for the industry it's great for people it's great for competition create American jobs. I mean, that seems like a win for everybody. I will say, though, I, I doubt we ever see one on the roads. Just throwing that out there. Again. Why are you killing everything today? You doubt we'll ever see saying, an I Apple feel- car on the road? Is that what you just said? I mean, that seems like the likely bet, right? Does it, does it not seem like the likely bet? I feel like we see one. There's too much into it at this point. And for Tim Cook to not have interest in Tesla means there's something better, bigger. And yeah. ultimately... I think the most exciting thing is there is new competition, hopefully on the software level, because if Apple does anything, it's software, hardware integration. And like I said, there's nothing close in terms of software right now. Uh, Like Tesla just wipes the floor with everybody. What do you think about the idea of this Project Titan pivoting to software where car manufacturers have the option of essentially being a vessel outside from the drivetrain for the software? that Apple would put on there. So it's not it's not CarPlay, that's just like a projection software, but it's like a full stack, Apple's designed everything soup to nuts from the software to interact 
with the car. I think that seems like a very plausible thing. But then we get into the whole notion of that's just, that's why iOS isn't on Android. That's not Apple's MO. They want the control from start to finish. And I think that's what makes it what it is, whether you hate it or love it, like that's why Apple is what it is. And granted, we've seen certain things like AirPlay come to TVs, which is weird. But CarPlay, I think we can... Super CarPlay, weird. <laughs> overall, I would say is not like a hit. Yeah. So is that why you think you're more likely to see an Apple car? Just Apple wants full control, vertically integrated, like they're just going to make the car that's going to run their software. Yeah, I think that's what it is, right? Like they have, it's the software hardware optimization that they are known for. Because then, can you think, like, you know, God forbid, that's a whole other topic, right? But, like, now you're getting into extreme territories of, like, you know, imagine this Ford crashed because it was, you know, something like, I don't think Tim Cook or Apple wants that on their track record. True. All right. I mean, I I, I see the perspective on it, right? It just, a car is, like, such a huge like such a huge thing. It's not like we're going to go into a wearable. You get something that's already kind of in. It'd be such a huge shift for Apple, but certainly they have the cash for it. The other thing though that we're maybe underestimating is like their, how much development they put into AI and sensors. And that's what, it's another great thing about Tesla, right? They have so many cameras and sensors and their algorithms and things like that. And like I've said a million times, Apple's very good at developing a product or a technology in one place and implementing it into another. And I think everything that we've seen so far in terms of AI and, you know, their chips ultimately could have its place in there. And I'm not at this place where I'm like, yeah, the Apple car is happening. It's going to be amazing. Everybody sell your car. I just think, again, it's exciting to see another software piece come in. What's interesting, Apple tends to do new products with a purpose, or they make changes with a purpose. Whether you believe their purpose or not, they're, they seem to stand behind it. Remove the charger because of e-waste. There's, there's a reason behind they move. I wonder if the purpose behind the car is safety. You know, car accidents on the road, families torn apart. Is that the reason Apple says we're going to get in here to make the road safer for everybody? We drive on the roads too. Tim Cook's a passenger or a driver. We know whoever that might be. I wonder if that's the impetus behind this. And that's the angle they take to carry them into the automotive world. Like what's the, the story that gets them, that gets people excited. Apple making a car is interesting, but that life cycle dies. You know, the, the story and the reasoning behind it and the marketing behind it, if they ever get to market uh, is going to be fascinating. And also cars can't be developed behind closed doors. Like phones can, you can't keep a car locked up, in you know 17 floors down and then announce it to the world like cars have to be on roads yeah you could camouflage them you could hide them under other things but cars ultimately have to be on roads. So apple has to be willing for these leaks to happen we saw negotiations with hyundai like someone asked was it the ceo of, of hyundai kia like are you working with apple and they're like yeah yep <laughs> like you can't do that <laughs> you can't say that it's just gonna be interesting to see if apple's more amiable to like hey that car looks a little strange like maybe it's the Apple car, you know, and spy shots coming out. So this is a whole new, whole different ballgame. Yeah. I, I, well, the story has to be a complete shift in the idea of transportation. So less of everybody else makes cars. And here's our take on the same thing that everybody else does. And more of, yeah, here's a dynamic shift in how you get 
from point A to point B or how things get from point A to point B. Like maybe you send your car to the grocery store and it picks up your curbside pickup and drives it home and you don't have to go anywhere because what's the point of you being in there anyway if you're not having to drive? Environment has to be involved, I would assume, would be a big one too. The more of these cars that are on the road, the less fumes and, and greenhouse gases are happening. It'll be interesting to see. I think we're a good five years away from any sort of announcement. And so you look forward to five years of just the rumor mill spinning, but it could be cool. So just I just want to I just want to reiterate, though, John Rettinger's over the past two weeks, his predictions <laughs> include um, <laughs> number one. Are you, you keeping tabs on me? I just want to keep tabs on accountable. The viewers right. are going to hold you accountable. Number one, w- at least one iPhone this year will ship portless. Number one, John Morrison, do you do you have any takes on that? I don't think we're there yet. Okay, that's what that's what I said. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're a year away, like another year I away. Think next year. Two, despite Elon's tweet, we will not see. Tesla accepting Bitcoin as payment, <laughs> at least until full, full self-driving is up and running, which who knows how the hell long that'll do. A hundred percent, you'll not be able to buy a Tesla this year at Bitcoin. Like a hundred percent, that will not happen. I like that. And then Apple will never have a consumer car on the road <laughs> that you can buy. There it is. You heard it. You heard it here, folks. Okay. Look, I, I see, I see you guys laughing at my predictions. We're gonna, I'm gonna mark in the calendar. One year, one year from now, we're gonna have John back on, and to I'm be fair, gonna keep I, tabs. I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think Tesla accepts Bitcoin anytime soon. I mean, we haven't seen the Roadster, we haven't seen Cyber Trucks. I, I don't think Tesla accepts Bitcoin anytime soon. I do think there will be an Apple Car eventually. So I am, I agree on one of the three things you said right now. Fair enough. Fair. I'll take, the, I'll take 33%. <laughs> I wanted to go back to John Morrison for a minute. I wanted to ask you some questions that I asked Marquez last week about rumored upcoming Apple-powered, Apple chips in Macs. And so basically, before we get started, what are you currently using today for editing your videos? 13 inch from a Mac 13 inch M1. That's my computer. Everywhere. Wow. Everywhere. Okay. 13 inch M1 MacBook Pro. Yep. Right off the gate, we're starting off different because Marquez is using the Mac Pro, currently shipping Mac Pro. So this is gonna probably be easier for you then than him, but let's just go through it anyway. Let's say Apple introduces the next iMac which is rumored to be redesigned to fairly closely resemble the current Pro Display XDR. Do you, and let's just say it has an M1Z. I'm going Z because X now seems to delineate not as many cores as Z has. So M1Z processor, new all-in-one design, but it's a desktop, not a portable. Do you switch? I think I would give it a shot. The only reason I am on a M1 MacBook Pro is because, I mean, t- typically a, like a dual desktop laptop workflow is probably ideal, but the M1 in terms of video for me is better than an iMac right now. So I can see a world where once, if, if there's an iMac and it's more powerful than the M1 MacBook Pro now, like heck yeah, I would use it. I think I'm just in a place where 
the M1 is so good for what I do. The only reason I've had to even power on anything Intel is audio, just because there are certain plugins that still aren't M1 optimized. But in terms of a video workflow, I am 100% M1. This is interesting too. Like, can you kind of explain why M1 versus like the Mac Pro? Like the beast of of a video editing machine versus one of Apple's least expensive, almost entry-level products. How did you, like you went from the top to almost, you're not saying Air, you're not at the Air, but the Pro, which is, they're pretty much the same machine, just one has a fan, one doesn't. Yeah, I think it goes back to the whole sentiment of, like I said, the Mac Pro, the biggest upgrade for me was the storage and the silence of it, not having fans, because for me, that was the biggest jump of not having to deal with fans kicking up, because other than that, a 5K iMac is more than enough, just in terms of how good they are. And I think to this day, they're still underrated where everyone wants to, whatever, rightfully so, crap all over the the chin and the bezel. But in terms of what you get for a display P3 500 nits, in terms of a processor with, you know, it's not a 3080 or a 3090, but what Apple does in terms of their metal acceleration on the AMD side is very powerful. So I think it's just, I never really needed a Mac Pro for what I do. It, it was a great luxury. And it was back to the sentiment of simplifying my workflow to where it doesn't really matter if I'm on a Mac Pro or an iMac or a MacBook Pro. And I think typically prior to that, you would feel the strain going from a MacBook Pro to an iMac. Like you would feel the the GPU difference and it would be a sacrifice. Whereas M1 for me, it, it feels the same across the board. And it's more the the smaller things like the system UI and the snappiness of everything combined because it's like video wasn't a bottleneck necessarily for me. Everything else feels slow going back to Intel. Like if you boot it up, if you're just in the UI, it feels like you're going back to a hard disk drive when you're used to using a solid state drive after a while. So it stems at me simplifying my workflow. And it doesn't mean, you know, I'm shooting everything on an iPhone, but it's just like, how how does it get out of my way. And luckily the FX9 works amazing with M1. There are certain things, right? Like I don't, I'm not going to go out and recommend everybody sell their 16 inch or their iMac for an M1 MacBook Pro because there are limitations. It, it is annoying dealing with two ports when you're used to four. If you don't use an external monitor going from 16 to 13, the screen real estate is definitely a hit. And I think, you know, there are other things in the sense of Maybe your program's not optimized yet. Like I said, the audio world is usually a step behind, six months behind. So there's a lot of things to consider. But overall, for me, it's just been like it's been a step up from my 16 inch, which is weird to say in terms of video. Yeah, yeah. I'm liking I'm liking the totally different approach that you have to this versus Marquez. Like this is like two absolute professionals at the top of their game with two totally different ways of seeing things. Okay, let me ask you this. Rumors of a Apple M chip series Mac Pro, half the size or of the current one, so a miniature version that kind of harkens back to the G4 Cube. First of all, does that interest you at all? Or are you more someone that would say, just give me whatever the new 16-inch M-powered machine would be? And second of all, what would make you go back to a Mac Pro desktop when you think of it being powered by an Apple processor? I don't even think it's necessarily a Mac Pro. It just depends on the workflow, right? I think, you know, if you're, because I have 
two different hats sometimes, right? If I'm in the video world or if I'm on the audio side of things, a Mac Pro is enticing because of the expansion and the I.O. And, you know, there are things like just throwing in a, a PCIe SSD or a processing card that are very exciting. You know, I think what they did with the Afterburner card, if that is implemented into other things, is very exciting. And I think Apple desperately needs something in the middle of the road. And, you know, I've talked about this before to where the pro display is amazing, but no one should really buy it unless you're working in HDR video, because for what it is at that, it's, it's extremely undervalued because there's nothing truly with those specs at that price that works as easy as it does to work in HDR. But for most people, you know, I always harp back to the original Thunderbolt display. Like that thing was amazing because it was relatively affordable. It was a dock, you know, it had Ethernet, it had your USB, it charged your MacBook, and it wasn't $6,000. And trust me, like I feel like Apple knows what they're doing. And we've seen that, you know, a lot of people tend to say, well, Apple doesn't admit mistakes. But in reality, like they've done nothing but that recently, starting with the 11 Pro, making it thicker. I mean, they admitted they messed up the trash can Mac Pro. Phil Schiller said that. So that's why they brought back cheese grater. And I think if they can get something in the mid range, and that's why I think the Mac mini is such a great thing right now. In terms of desktop performance at 699 bucks, there's nothing truly close. Like if you want a game, yeah, sure. Buy a graphics card if you can find one. But there's nothing pound profound performance wise. Like if you want to bring your own monitor and keyboard that competes with M1 Mac mini right now. And I think if Apple can do something in the mid-range and bring out, even if it's a 28, 27-inch display that's not pro display or it's not 1,600 nits, it's a huge market that would be filled. And I'm, I'm excited just to see more options from Apple. Ranger, do you have any thoughts on this before we move to the last topic? No, I was fascinated to hear John's, hear John's answer on that, especially in regards to, to M1, because knowing the hardware that he's got at the studio... Uh, for anybody listening out there, uh, if John's editing on an M1, you're good. <laughs> right. Like you're you're good. Get the MacBook Pro. Make do with the MacBook Air. I, w- I will say, uh, 16 gigs of RAM is more important than a MacBook Air versus Pro, because if you do multiple layers and things like that, eight gigs will suck up real quick of RAM. So that's the one thing I will say is if you if you do go M1. I will say go 16 gigs of RAM. But honestly, at this point, if you've held off, I would hold off because you know we are closer and closer to the next version of Apple Silicon. Yeah. What's interesting to me so far with Apple Silicon, and I wonder if it will continue, is the elimination of choosing the processor. Yes, but that's what it is. That like makes even sense. With the currently shipping. Da- damn it, man. Like That's why it's so good because... Like, I understand the nerd sentiment of like, well, what about the gigahertz and what about the cores? But God damn it, yeah. for the average person, I remember going into Apple stores and even Apple employees not understanding it. It's like, oh, well, does the, do you want the i5 <laughs> or the i7? Well, does that have hyper-threading? What's hyper-threading? Oh, it's, well, there's, there's virtual cores. So it's like, even though it's a quad-core chip, there's actually eight cores. So I think the notion of just like, <laughs> hey, this one's faster. <laughs> Pick this one. Like, that's so yep. much simpler. And, and I understand the frustration of like, again, the nerd side of wanting to know the specs and the cores and the gigahertz. But ultimately, if we can simplify things and it's like, oh, do you want eight cores, 12 cores, 16 cores? And it is as simple as this one is faster. That one is faster. That makes it so much simpler. 
John, to anybody out there looking to get a computer, recommending 16 gigs, what do you think about the cores, though, the, the 7 versus 8? Do you think there's a, a difference people should be concerned about or save the money for the RAM? If you do heavier stuff, go for the, I mean, the MacBook Pro and the cooling is nicer, but the RAM for me is more important than, than the extra core. The MacBook Air is a great machine. I think more than anything, you're buying a MacBook Pro for the extra brightness. A lot of people miss that. People are like, oh, well, the MacBook Air is MacBook Pro. Like, well, no. The MacBook Air is 400 nits. The MacBook Pro is 500 nits. That 100 nits can make a difference if you're used to it. I do find myself, if I'm on a MacBook Air, I keep pressing the brightness button because I'm used to 500 nits on an iMac. Most good displays, and that's what people, again, don't give Apple credit for, is you're not going to find a lot of 500 nit P3 displays, especially at that price point. Usually they're 300 nits, 350 nits. And that's why it's a combination of, yes, you get a, fan yes you get an extra core but the core is the least of the advantages of the macbook pro i would say the fan and then if you can like if it's a matter of where do i put this money definitely go ram over over a fan last story of the show another future product this one likely a lot closer than the car dan riccio at apple was the head of hardware engineering all hardware engineering and he has been i don't know if you call this a promotion because he's no longer the head of all hardware. He's been moved. And Bloomberg says he has been moved to lead and head Apple's AR and VR headset efforts. And so the information had a scoop the other day. Um, They actually saw a leak of internal Apple documents and images of this headset. The report said it had dual OLED displays. Each display is 8K resolution, so 8K per eye advanced eye tracking, spatial audio, swappable headbands, kind of like swappable Apple Watch bands, head tracking as well. And pricing is rumored to be in the $3,000 area with Apple thinking that they might only sell one per day per Apple store. This is obviously a lot closer. Tim Cook has been talking about AR and VR for years as a new frontier that Apple is excited about. When you hear what they're working on, including confirmed leaks of internal documents, how do you feel about this product and this technology? A few months ago, John Rettinger, you said you do not care about AR or VR at all. But this, I mean, I'm assuming uh, from Apple's perspective is if you take the car out of the equation, this is their next big thing. What do you think? His face does not look excited, ladies and gentlemen. John, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take <laughs> AR, VR uh, uh, first. I would probably mark it similar to the car where it's, I'm, I'm good without it right now. And if it turns out to be useful, then I'm cool. I, I guess I've never had a, I would be more excited for AR as opposed to VR. But I'm not someone who tends to like, like I, I've seen the, I guess the, the appeal of like Oculus, but I've had like weird experiences where like it made me dizzy. So I think, again, I, what it, I think what it stems down to is it's going to be part of the bigger picture, potentially like the car. So I think it's something that Apple is going to roll out that's going to play a bigger part in the bigger picture. And much like AirPods Max, maybe on a bigger scale where it's more of a luxury item. So they get the tech out, I think that might be a, a better use case for it. But, you know, if, if they can get it mainstream, especially with how things have changed, right? If, if, it's, a, if it's a way to play, replace business meetings or, 
I know they've done the things where you can see what a product looks like. And if it's high level screens to where you're almost getting that shopping experience or to where you can, who knows where it's going to be, man. Like you could wear your Apple headset to see your car, go pick up your groceries, you know, like we don't know where it's going at this point, but I think it's probably going to be one of those things where it's going to play a bigger role in the bigger picture is my thought. Uh, yeah, I like what he said better than what I was going to say. Let's go with that. <laughs> what were you going to say? I need I like, to hear I, this. I like John's equation. I mean, I think it's kind of similar. Like, I know AR and VR are big things. I just have yet to see real reasons why they've been exciting for me personally. Like, I, I get that people love, you know, gaming in, in VR. And I, I that's awesome. I just, I haven't seen a use for it yet. Apple's a company that doesn't traditionally develop products out in the open. They don't usually release things until it would have been, you know, Gen 2 or 3 of, of other companies. So if Apple is doing, you know, AR, VR, and it does sound like a very Gen 1, then uh, personally, I, I commend a company who's willing to take that risk, but also get feedback from users who are using the product to get to that Gen 3 or 4. See, I'm going to hop in real quick, though. I feel like the, the days, necess- like, for the most part, I feel like the days of, and this was, this was something that I felt a lot of people were wrong with, with M1, is everyone is quick to say, well, oh, it's Gen 1, or this is a new product. But again, if you're paying attention, like we've been seeing these things throughout different products, right? That's why they put LiDAR on what seemingly was a pointless iPad Pro refresh, where they unlocked a core, everyone was like, what's the point? But then we then saw LiDAR on the iPhones, right? And there are smaller things that people look over where they you, you can use the LiDAR sensor if you're blind or if you have a visual disability to, so you can know how far a person is from you or how far you know the stoplight is from you. So I think, yes, there are, there is some truth to it. But for the most part, I feel like, again, we're seeing a lot of these products being developed in front of us where we don't even know it. So a lot of the AR and the VR, like we're seeing it with AirPods Max and spatial audio, which stem from the HomePod. So I think we just need to be more cognizant of hey, like there is a reason for this product or this feature and we're going to see it pop up in different ways. So yes, it will be a Gen 1, but in a lot of Apple's recent products, we've usually seen that piece of technology somewhere else before. Yeah, I agree. I think that's an interesting interesting perspective. And I, I see it, I think M1, like you said, I, Apple had no business to the outsiders, I think, having no business with the processor that was that good for a freshen effort. But certainly, like you said, they had been developing the technology for a while and we saw it. AR, VR, well, certainly it's been enabled on, you know, their products for, for a while. A headset is an entirely new category. You know, Apple had been making processors for, for years, just in different capacity for different use cases. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I think Apple generally delivers a product that's polished and refined. And if, if any company is good at finding a use case for a new product line, it's Apple. I mean, a hundred percent, right? They sold us on initial iPad that was a blown up iPhone and it changed tablets forever. So I think there probably is that use case where like, I never thought of that use. So I just, I, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see what it's going to be. And I'm interested to see how Apple presents it to the market and what the must have use case is going to be or what use case they try to sell it as, especially if the price point ends up being true. Sure. For me, I'm, I don't know. I get excited about just new technology as a just as a fan of seeing cool things like when i when i read 
the dual 8K display to me isn't about like the resolution. It's about dual 8K displays with advanced eye tracking so that wherever you happen to be looking, that's where all the resolution goes and everything in your periphery isn't as high resolution because you're not staring directly at it. But how quickly it has to adjust based on how rapid, you know, your eyes shift around. Just when I hear stuff like that, that goes back to kind of how we opened the show where I was talking about, I just have this slab of glass that I can talk to anyone in the world on. Seeing technology improve and evolve in a way that either helps you, like helps humanity, or just provides a new experience that we've never had before. To me, that's the stuff that like makes me excited anytime, anytime Apple has an event upcoming where it's just like, what are they going to do to either make my life better or more fun in a way that I never even realized could be the case? So that's what, it, to me, the headset kind of signifies in these rumors. Obviously expensive, and that to me is the one thing. If Apple's selling a $3,000 headset that's even different than the three thousand dollar original macbook air because you at least knew going into the purchase if you've ever used a laptop before you at least had an idea of what how this would be a different experience versus something like vr which you cannot explain with words to someone how this will be they have to try it for themselves and in a world where if this is a product for 2021 or 2022 in a world where people are likely not going to want to just go into an Apple store and try on a headset that someone else just took off 10 seconds ago, that to me is where there's going to be a lot of challenge in, in, in getting people to spend that much money when it's not something they truly understand until they try it. And that's it. That's the show. That's the show. All right. John Morrison, thank you so much for taking some time to join us this week. We really appreciate it. Your insight. Thank you. Thank your you. Your intelligence and the kindness that you put into the world. I appreciate you guys and uh, look forward when we can hang again. I got to play basketball with everybody. Listen, I'd mean, like to see, human, see a human being again uh, and then step it back on a court again. It'd be both embarrassing <laughs> and exhilarating. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be the one embarrassing himself. It's all good. thanks guys yep thank you guys thanks guys and that is it for this edition of geared up thank you so much for listening of course you can catch john and i on youtube i'm at youtube.com slash gear live and john is at youtube.com slash john for lakers feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech speaking of subscribing you can subscribe to geared up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already just search geared up that's two words not one in apple podcasts spotify Pocket Casts, overcast or really wherever you choose to listen if you like what we do please consider leaving us a rating and review it really helps other people find the show geared up is a gear live podcast and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.